Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. I'm currently lying in bed because uh, I'm in a house where there is no other furniture. So I am laying down on the bed doing this introduction. It is quite a lovely way to do an introduction to a podcast, but I'm going to be quick because I have a show tonight at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm doing a season, a return season of my show, Will Legal, which is all about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. It's going great. Uh, thank you to everybody who's come out so far. Um, I'm amazed at how many people have come out a, either to see it for the first time or I know there's been a whole bunch of people who've come back to see how much the show has changed as well. And I appreciate each and every one of you. It's quite a moving experience to be back in Melbourne doing live shows. There's a real element of some people going out for the very first time to be in public, to laugh together. And you can actually sense the tension in the room at the start of the shows as people take a little bit longer to warm up to get used to the environment to say hey is this okay it is okay and it feels very much okay as we get into the swing of it and relax into it but it's been an incredible process that I didn't really understand perhaps what the magnitude of going back out and doing things was going to be to the Melbourne audience who had been locked down for so long and not been able to do these things so it's been an incredibly emotional and moving experience to be able to do these shows and I hope that you will get an opportunity to come out and see some of them uh speaking of shows I've added a 10 30 show on the final Saturday night Saturday the 17th of April at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the Comedy Theatre it is my improvised stand-up show what you talking about Will so I'll probably bang on a bit at the start about you know some shit that happened in the last year and then uh, I'll talk to the crowd and we'll have a good time and we'll uh, make up a little show on the spot. So uh, there is limited tickets to that because it is a one night only event and it's already about half sold out. So if you want to come along to what you're talking about, Will, I would recommend that you get in quickly for a ticket to that. Hey, uh, if you're not in... And Melbourne, the best way to support me is, of course, to support the Patreon of this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash willosophy. You can join up for as little as US dollar per month. And uh, for doing that, you get all the episodes a day earlier than everybody else and you get them ad free. And uh, there is some also some other offers and some bonus material and all those sort of things that you get a little earlier if on the Patreon page as we go on, uh, particularly once I get through this incredibly busy part of my life there might be even some extra bonus stuff on there as well but uh we've been putting out a couple of uh double episode weeks so uh nice little run nina oyama into nelly thomas into michelle brazier into judith lucy and today's episode is with the fabulous mark banano now mark uh many of you will know of course is uh, one third of the uh, upfront part of Auntie Donna. They are, of course, a bigger team than that. But uh, you will know Mark from the incredibly successful worldwide now uh, comedy comedy group Auntie Donna. But he also, of course, is the partner of Naomi Higgins, who has previously been on this podcast and talked about a show that they uh, have co-created. And uh, it is called Why Are You Like This? Uh, you may have already watched a bit of Why You Like This after listening to the Naomi episode and you would have been able to see it on ABC iView, but it is going worldwide if you are not in Australia and you've not been able to watch it uh, on the ABC. You will now be able to watch it on a little thing called Netflix all around the world. So Why You Like This comes out on Netflix this week. Uh, that's the plug for Mark. It was uh, really brilliant to catch up with Mark. We actually did this chat about, I guess, a month ago now, but uh, I've been hanging on to it for when the series was going to be launched on Netflix worldwide. Uh, really fun guy, really intelligent conversation. 
super appreciated his time and and getting to sit down with Mark for this chat. Uh, what else? Uh, I have a bunch of other podcasts. One's called Tofop. I do it with my friend Charlie Clawson. We've been doing it for nearly 11 years now. You can find that at tofop.com. There is a spin-off to that podcast, which features either Charlie or myself talking to somebody else. It is called Fofop. And uh, so Charlie recently spoke to Adam Zwa, which is a really excellent uh, chat. And my latest episode is up there with Daniel Sloss, which is always worth checking out when Daniel Sloss uh, joins me on Fofop. But I have a bit of a news to drop on him in this episode that I think you'll really enjoy. If you like the game of AFL or if you like AFL adjacent chat, we have a podcast that is called Two Guys, One Cup. An AFL-adjacent podcast. We're not talking specifically about football much at the moment because Charlie's team's not going very well and I don't want to rub it in. Well, uh, maybe I'll want to rub it in a tiny bit, but not too much. So I think that's all the plugs. Uh, Make sure you check out Mark's show. Make sure that you come and see me during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Oh, I would recommend going and seeing a whole bunch of philosophy guests. Uh, Kirsty Wiebeck, who's been on recently, is doing a fabulous show. Michelle Brazier, of course. Uh, again, an episode that I keep telling you about, Anna Piper Scott, where uh, only through my fault uh, is that episode not up already. So I would highly encourage that you go and check out Queer and Present Danger with Anna Piper Scott. It's one of those ones where if you've heard the interview, you definitely want to go and check her out. And I feel really pissed off that you haven't been able to hear the interview, but I just have not had the time or the capacity to be able to record my side of it. I am hoping to do it in the next couple of days, which is the thing I've been saying for weeks now. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, please enjoy this episode with Mark. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And this is how the show starts. I ask the guests who they are. So, sir, oh, I've already given her away. Uh, Everyone knows already. It's such a weird conceit that I have at the start of this show because at the start, this show was called Philosophy. And uh, then I stopped doing it for long enough that iTunes decided that I wasn't allowed to log into the Willosophy account anymore. So I had to start a whole new account, which was the Willosophy with Will Anderson. And then I overexplained that. And then I came up with this convoluted fucking introduction. And everyone knows who it is anyway. You've my face the is on, isn't the, the thing, James my face. Fos- I paid James Fosdyke a good amount of money every week to put your face out there with a quote from the episode. But anyway, this is the convention. So who are you? I am. I am uh, Mark Samuel Bonanno. Uh, uh, that's my name at, at the very least. Um, and I'm a writer and a performer, uh, I would say. Uh, yeah, well, I think other people would say that as well, but I'd yeah. like to know what you would say. It's nice <laughs> to have you here, Mark. Thank you very much for doing the show. Um, You're welcome. You guys, uh, some people will know you, of course, as part of Auntie Donna, who have an incredibly successful Netflix show all over the world mm-hmm. at the moment, which is also... Absolutely hilarious. Like I have watched it all myself and my partner who is not necessarily a fan of every style of comedy thought it was absolutely hilarious. And my podcasting partner, Charlie Clawson, won't stop banging on about it. So, Well, that's very sweet. Nice to have you on the show. You must be overwhelmed by the response to the television show. You must be very excited about the fact that 
you know, I had Broden obviously on and we spoke about, you know, the process of putting the show together a lot, yeah. but that was when it was just about to launch and he mm. did not know whether it was going to be something that people responded to or not. Tell us a little about the response to having the show out there in the world now. Yeah, overwhelmingly positive. In terms of like reviews and stuff, it's it's been the, the best reviews of our of our of our careers uh i would i would say which is um cool considered the what considering what we do which is like pretty niche and, and a bit weird um and like some of the things that people have said has been very uh life affirming or like very affirming in in like like that 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 show that we made is so unequivocally our voice and that's the thing i'm the most proud of and the fact that people have seen that and heard that and have responded to it positively and things that have been said like how uniquely australian it feels without bashing you over the head that it's australian you know it just feels like naturally australian even though it was film and it was made in la and most of the guest stars are are american or international like it feels it, it feels uniquely Australian. And that for me was like a huge compliment. Cause I don't know if that was anything we specifically set out to do. We just wanted to be ourselves and, and, uh, and, and do it in our voice. And that came across, which was really big, really big. Yeah. I think that is one of the most impressive things about it. Uh, there is a, a bit of a cliche in the Australian media and there are a lot of international listeners to this show. So I'll fill them yeah. in a little, which is whatever happened to the larrikin? And it's a sort of right-wing meme about the death of, you know, being able to say racist and sexist and homophobic things in the name of comedy. And it's a huge debate in Australia because there is a certain element of Australia who liked Paul Hogan. And fair enough, there was a lot to like about Paul Hogan at the time. And they went, well, this is the sort of comedy we're going to like forever (laughs) and it should never change. And what happened to the larrikin? And I watched your show and I was like, well, this is what happened to the larrikin. The larrikin evolved. Mm. Because the show has a very Australian larrikin spirit to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, because we always, it's interesting you put it that way, because we've always just considered it as being naughty boys. Mm. That's that's always been like, uh, uh, Brodham, uh, I think, said, but we had on, on top of our wall, we had um, our creative wall, we were writing all of our ideas. We were like, it's us fucking with a Netflix show. That was the philosophy going forward. So we didn't just want to make a comedy show. We wanted to be three naughty boys who were wasting an opportunity. Like that was all like, looked like, <laughs> looked like they weren't really, like we didn't really care. It was, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. It's Netflix. But let's like break the form and be really like naughty with it, you know? And, and so. And naughty doesn't mean being sexist and racist. Naughty just means being like silly and a bit cheeky. And that's what I think people liked about the Aussie Larrikin was just like the naughtiness and the subversiveness of it. But, you know, comedy evolves, people evolve, like you said. That's abso- I think that's a really astute observation and I really appreciate that. Well, that's all the time I've got for today. I didn't know how to do it. it really early. Like normally, sometimes I have to go like an hour and a half, man, to get to we the good there. stuff. But we have, we have got there. It's been nice to have you on the show. No, you, so that must be amazing to get your ideas received, particularly internationally, and then to have a sort of understanding of where it fits into that world. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, big time. Um, it's, it's uh, like I said, overwhelming. People come up to us on the street all the time now and it was happening a bit before but it's happening a lot more now and they just want to be like they just want to say that they liked it and that they like what we do and they appreciate it and it's like it, 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 i like talk to other people about it and i'm like um because people asked me i was on a bucks night the other night 
and it just kept happening. People kept coming up to us and saying hello, Broden and Zach were there as well. Some of the other guys are like, what, what is that like? How does that feel? And you handle it really well because we're all just, I think we're all just like nice people and very appreciative of that kind of, um, uh, of that response. And it was like, it was like, just imagine like you have your job and you go and you do your job. And then when you're not doing your job, strangers come up to you and just want to say, Hey, you're really good at your job. <laughs> like if you were a mechanic or if you were a teacher, like people you just didn't know came up and like, Hey, I know that way that you taught that English right. class last week. That was really good. And I, I was in an Uber the other day and the car was handling so well. I said, who is your mechanic? And it was you. And I can't believe that I've seen you here. Amazing job, mate. It's like that. It's like, that's like a crazy thing. Right. And not a lot of people get that. And, and all of us are, are really, um, really appreciative and, and quite overwhelmed by it. Appreciative and overwhelmed is the words of the day for me in terms of the way the show has been received. Well, it's interesting to me to have you on the show as well, because as you mentioned, Broden's already been on the show, but also yeah. by the time people hear this, they will have also heard not just from your comedy partner, but well, actually from another one of your comedy partners, because mm. Naomi was uh, will have been on the show a couple of weeks before people hear this, and mm-hmm. you guys have a new show. It is on ABC at the moment, so people can go on iView and watch it there. But tell us about the idea of this show. Give people a bit of context from your point of view. Yeah, it's uh, the show's called Why You Like This. It's um, uh, it's a six part sitcom. Really, what it boils down to for me, anyway, was uh, Naomi and our other creator, um, Hamira Marba. We wanted to make, we just wanted to make a show about awful people, like uh, the kind of show that we, the kind of sitcoms that we loved growing up, like Seinfeld, Curb, uh, It's Always Sunny, uh, those kind of shows where the main characters, the main comic characters, aren't nice and don't have a lot of redeeming qualities um, and try their best and constantly fail and make things worse for all the people around them because we'd never, I don't know, I guess we'd never really seen anything like that from Australia. Um, that tends to be like an American or a British sort of tone or sentimentality and not a lot of that stuff has been made here. Um, and and that, that, was, that was the core. That was what really interested me about wanting to make the project and go and do that because... You know, there's only so many jokes I can write about cum and, and you know, that kind of thing. And like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of cum jokes in this show, but... Um, <laughs> and a lot of cum jokes to come, guys. A lot of cum don't jokes. Don't think the cum well is dry. It's dry. Mark just needs a little rest and you'll be back with so much more cum. I need a fresh angle on cum. And, um, and so... You know, like just, uh, uh, I, I, or it's, it's more just like that ability to write about characters, you know, and, and with Donna, it's more about absurdity and it's, and it's more about like the most ridiculous thought and it's about escalation. And, um, uh, this show was really an experiment. Like none of us said the fact that it exists will is, is ridiculous. Like we, we've gotten so lucky and, and huge huge kudos to the abc for taking a risk on us because we are such a new team and um when we started when we went through the fresh blood thing uh to get this show made which was where for those unfamiliar fresh bloods this screen australia abc initiative um 
like 15 groups get to make a web series and then out of those uh, 15, I think four get chosen to make, an, make a pilot and then out of those four pilots, one gets turned into a series. And we made it all the way through that process with a team, you know, with two directors who had never shot dialogue before um, with a very like with a fairly green producer, she, uh, she'd worked on other things before, but had never like helmed a, a whole pilot or TV show herself. Uh, Naomi, who'd been doing stand up for maybe three years, um, Hum, who was a f- fucking lawyer, right, <laughs> and and then myself, who at the time, you know, Auntie Donna had some proven success, but but probably not as much as we have now. And they they gave us a whole TV show, like with such like a new green team of people who were like so hungry and just like wanted to make something good. And um, hopefully, if nothing else, there's a couple of good jokes and the energy of people who just really wanted to make something good comes through, you know. OK, so you, you mentioned something there that there isn't a lot of shows with, you know, that typical anti-hero or anti-hero cast, like, mm. you know, Always Sunny or, you know, Seinfeld. That's the whole, you know, thing that some people didn't like about the final episode of Seinfeld, which was when they really just said, you've been watching and enjoying terrible people be terrible <laughs> for like the last decade. And I think some audience members found that too much of a, like, you know, blatant slap in the face. They were yeah, like, we yeah. like this degree of cognitive dissonance from the fact that these are terrible people, but we still love them. Yeah. Why do you think I'm very interested that you've identified the what which is that it does not exist in Australia but I'm I'm very interested in the why why don't you think those sort of shows have existed in Australia previously maybe because they're a harder sell like even even we we got notes constantly about this character's too unlikable and we we're like but that's what makes her funny like, like it's the fact that she's, and what endears you to her is the fact that she says and does funny things. Yeah, she's a bad person, right? Um, uh, maybe at the core, but that doesn't repulse you. That doesn't make you not connect with her. And I think in Australia, there's a fear of if you don't like the characters, you won't like the show. Um Purely because, you know, we have a smaller population and we have to make things that sell to a wider audience. And like that's, you know, so things here tend to have to be a little more on the um, broad spectrum. But I think there's been a bit of a miscommunique uh, in terms of what make things, <laughs> what maybe makes things broad and appealing. I mean, we'll find out. Um, but uh, I I don't know. It's, 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 that, it's, it's, it's the likability that I think a lot of people think uh, uh, needs to be in your characters and needs to be in the show for it to be accessible. I think it's very interesting what you're talking about because I think of even our mythologizing of anti-heroes through, because I was trying to think about this. I'm like, in comedy, yes, I agree with what you're saying. Mother and son, maybe. Like yeah. maybe the TV show Mother and Son, you know, neither of those characters were particularly sympathetic in their own ways. They were both quite unlikable and trapped in this incredible, you know, compelling relationship between sort of mother and son but with two people who would be described a lot of the time as being you know quite nasty or mean or yeah uh, you know uh, misanthropic characters 
And then I thought, well, we do a lot of crime dramas. Like, we've had great success with, you know, movies that are about anti-heroes. Mm. But there is a sense that we still do want to make those people likable. Yeah. Like, often, you know, it's not enough to just go, let's make this movie or miniseries about Carl Williams, who was a terrible person who did terrible things. Yeah, we've got yeah. to make Carl Williams kind of pretty likable by the end. Like, yeah, Chopper yeah, Reed's yeah. got to be this guy who can go on talk shows. And you got to love Chopper by the end of it. you right. got to be like, oh, I want to have a beer with that guy. <laughs> You know? So was there temptation in your work to do that? Was there temptation that, you know, at the end of this episode, you know, they are going to hug and you're going to learn something? Well, there's like, there's one episode where that I think was in the writing. And then when we saw it on screen, we were all like, oh, no, we fucked up. <laughs> we were like, it's too sad and it's too earnest. I hate I, I despise earnestness in comedy, right? Like, if something is earnest in comedy, I'm like, fuck off, you're not making it. It's why I personally, and this is no disrespect to anyone else, it's why I never got into Friends. Because Friends is so earnest. They're so, like, there are times where it's like, but we were on a break. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. Like, and I've watched it all, and I've watched it all a lot, and I, it's not for me. And there's a moment in this show where it gets a little earnest, and it's still something that I'm like not happy with as a writer and a creator, but it's in there. It was a bit of an accident. Um, but uh, I would say for the most part, we were fighting against it. Like not really ourselves, but I think from some of the people higher up, which was fine, you know, because, you know, it's, again, it's a new team. We were, a lot of us were collaborating for the first time and getting on the same page was was a journey, you know, in terms of, this is this is the tone and this is what we want the show to be. And then, you know, also knowing when to take the advice and not just block everyone out. That's a that's a hard balance to find. Oh, I, I, I'm interested in your point of view uh, because you come into that relationship with uh, it's a power dynamic thing, I guess, is what mm. I'm interested in, because you have previous experience. You work with another group of collaborators, but then suddenly you have to switch to another group of people who are at different stages of their careers and haven't been on that journey sort of yeah. in the same way as you. And I'm sure that you had to be, and of course there's a personal relationship there that, you know, brings an extra dynamic into the situation as well. Totally. Talk us about the dynamic choices and the way you interact as Auntie Donna and what you brought to the table and what you chose not to bring to the table in this new collaboration. That's a great, oh man, that's a great question. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, like with, with Donna, it is, it does feel, uh, it's, it feels equal inherently because we've all gone through the same thing together all, you know, for like nine, 10 years, however long it's been that we've been doing stuff. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, not to say that some of us still don't think, oh, I know what I'm talking about here. And, and like, you know, sometimes feel the need to say that. Um, but stepping into this group, where, yeah, I guess in terms of comedy, I was the most, in inverted commas, senior uh, and had the most experience with it. It was, I, I uh, to be honest, to be completely honest, a lot of the times I was confronted with um, how much of a dick I could be or like how, <laughs> like, I, I was just like, because sometimes I'd be like, oh, I feel like I know what I'm talking about here. But, but when both of my other co-creators just, completely disagreed with me i had to like really learn how to like step back and go 
just because you've been doing it longer doesn't mean you know what the fuck you're talking about, you know? Like, you're not the only person that have created these characters. And the two main characters are based on the two other people I'm writing with. So sometimes I would have hot takes on these characters and I'd be like, this character would absolutely do that. And the person that it's based on would say no. And I'd be like, <laughs> well, you don't know what you're talking about. And then, like, <laughs> I'd be like, well, you know, maybe they do, Mark. Maybe they have some insight that you don't fucking have. You know, <laughs> like. I mean, yes, to a certain degree, that is true. And sometimes you could probably argue, you know, the fact that you can be too close to it. One of my favorite yeah. showbiz stories that he tells himself is the fact that Dave Hughes had a part written for him in the movie Cracker Jack. You don't see Dave Hughes <laughs> in that part. The character is called Dave. It yeah. is based on Dave. And Dave yeah. went for an audition and didn't even get a call back <laughs> to play himself because it turns out that Samuel Johnson is a much better Dave than Dave much Hughes better is. Dave Hughes. <laughs> What? At least it's Samuel Johnson. Samuel Johnson's a better Mark Bonanno one day. I'll be honoured. That's that's a, that. I'll take that. <laughs> Mark, um, I ask people on this show if they have a uh, philosophy of any kind, mm-hmm. and often what I find is people have more than one, and you know they have different philosophies in regard to different aspects of their life. But can we start with uh, you know the idea of do you have a philosophy? Is there some sort of guiding principle to which your life adheres? Yeah, I, I th- there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a few things that come to mind. It's it's something like um, I do I do a lot of therapy. I think therapy is very important, and my therapist says I'm quite good at therapy, which is pretty mm. cool. Um, well, he's always how you, like, "How do you feel about that need for external validation by somebody you're paying to tell you that you're doing a good job?" I feel like, like you need another therapist to deal with the unhealthy relationship you have with your current therapist. He's not helping. Um, he's like, no, like, like, always be like, "Oh, you know, you did this, so what do you think that means?" And I'm like, oh, I think it probably means this. And he's like, you're right. He's like, you're pretty good at this. Not everyone gets it straight away. Usually I have to tell them. I'm like, I know how fucked up I am. Don't worry. I've got it all worked out. Um, but, uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit off top. But anyway, I've been, I've, you know, this is something I've been thinking about for like a good number of years. And uh, sometimes I come back to this Roald Dahl quote that I really like, which is he talks about how kindness is, is, is one of the most important uh, traits to have as a human, because if you're kind, sort of everything else follows. Um, If you're just at your core, a a kind person, then like, you know, generosity sort of comes with kindness and empathy comes with kindness. But empathy is the biggest thing for me. I I think I, I really like to live my life or I want to live my life um, with, with a very big sense of empathy. I think I am, naturally quite empathetic uh sometimes that can lead to uh negative things like like naivety and sometimes i can have myself taken advantage of because maybe i'm i'm too empathetic um but that's sort of where it's led to me is like if you're empathetic i feel like everything else follows you know kindness and empathy are a very a very big for me um, um so kindness comes up a lot on this show in fact yeah i think if there was you know, we had to have a poll of the topic that people say is the most important. It often starts with kindness or it's oh, some derivative of kindness, which yeah. you know, reassures me a lot that either the world is a place that is striving for kindness or that I just picked guests for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> got good taste. Who have been kind to me at some stage or I think will be kind to me during the interview. Maybe yeah. this is like your therapy. It's more about me than it is about that situation. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like it and I think that empathy is really strong and 
my friend Justin Hamilton, of course, you know, the yeah. brilliant Justin Hamilton, always mocks me for the idea that I love to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I'll go on a rant <laughs> against something that someone said or done, and then I'll, like, by the end of it, I'll have argued the whole way back to how I have empathy for them in that situation. It's actually there, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can understand. <laughs> and he loves it. He, like, he, <laughs> fi- he finds it endlessly amusing. But it, as an artist... Mm. The, the one thing that I worry about with that sort of seeing the best in everybody is that I look at the current state of the world and there are some people who have been getting away f- with things because people aren't prepared mm. to see the worst of what they're doing. And so you you talk about on a personal level being taken advantage for, you know, your kindness and empathy, and I can understand how that could definitely happen. Mm. Um, what about on a broader, when you look at the world thing, is there certain things that you do have to take a stand on? Is there certain things that you do feel like it's important to, I can't be empathetic to this person? Could you punch a Nazi, I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> Well, I'm very much a pacifist, um, yeah. uh, but, uh, um, uh, no. but what I'm hearing like, is a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> That's the quote. Uh, put that, put that on under my picture. Um, no, like that's the that's a that's a tough question. That's a big question, and 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 I don't. I really. I guess I don't really know because I've never fully had to be confronted with it. Like, absolutely. Like, just because you're empathetic, absolutely that doesn't mean you have to be empathetic to everyone all the time, right? Um, uh, because there are horrible people in this world. There are irredeemable people in this in this world without question. How they should be punished and, and what's the right and wrong thing to do there is something that's, you know, I guess I haven't really delved into it's it's you know even like politics and shit hasn't been something i've been interested in engaging with until the last five years of my life you know it's just as you get i I hope that as i get a little older it's stuff that i'm able to grapple with and tackle with because some of it just seems too big man like it's such big questions and thank Thank whoever's responsible for not making me responsible for having to fucking make the calls. <laughs> obviously, it's not. Obviously, it's not me, and that would never be me. But like, I, I'm. You know, well, I'd still. Very, firstly, very irresponsible of you to take a knee in this important <laughs> moment where it's never been more important than entertainers to have opinions on things they're not qualified. Fine, to have kill them all. Yeah. Just kill them all. Get, just, just put. <laughs> Is that what you want from me, Will? <laughs> I mean, it didn't take much. I wouldn't trust I, you. I deal in extremes. I deal in extremes. What can I say? Yeah, no, I, I don't know, man. It's like, is I, I hope that's not taking a knee. I hope that's not a cop out. But like, it's just. It's not. I, I don't think it is. I think one of the great things in life is to understand what it is that you're qualified to have an opinion about and what it is that you're probably best to just sit back and let the experts do themselves. Yeah, I, I yeah. actually think that's a, that is not a thing to be mocked. I was just mocking for fun. I was having a good time. It was more <laughs> no, totally, totally. No, I get it. Man. Cause it's like, it's, that's, that's interesting what you say. It's like, cause there are certain things that have happened to me that I feel like, you know, like uh, the reason I'm a pacifist is I've had, I've been beat up a couple of times, right. like physically. And I've never hmm. wanted to hit back. Hmm. I've never felt that urge to hit back and getting hit in the face hmm fucking sucks man mm. like so that's like that's the re i'm not just a pacifist because i believe in it it's like no. i've experienced t- to some degree yeah and you it's had like passiveness 
thrust upon you. Yeah, you know, it's like it's not nice. It doesn't make you feel good. And like, and I've, and like I said, I've never felt that urge. Even when I've been pushed to that point, I've never felt the urge to like hit back. And I, and like you know, I was confronted with that in my early twenties. I was like, oh, I think I'm very anti-violence. Like it's just not in me, and I don't think it's right. You know. Uh, so, so I. It's interesting that because there is a difference between being in a fight and being punched. And yeah. when people talk to me about growing up in the country, they say, were you ever in any fights? And shorthand, I would say, yes, I was in some fights. But at, actually, that's not the truth. I just got punched a bunch of times. Yeah. Like, I, I never punched anybody back. I don't know if I was like a pacifist at that age or just a realist who <laughs> thought, you know, this <laughs> is judge the gonna, situation this knowingly. Is not, you know what? <laughs> Take a few punches. If you throw one back, this is only going to make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a very good point <laughs> um, It's confronting the first time you get punched though Can, Do you remember when it was? Uh, yeah, um, I think the first time Well, it was There's the first time that it happened And then there's the first time that it like Meant Like like where I really like felt the weight of it, right? And the first time was just in high school There was like an older kid We'd been teasing each other back and forth I thought we were just joking. He took it a little more seriously, met up with me after school and then just like hit me in the face and ran off. Right. And that was like a shock, but it didn't hurt. Right. The when when it hurt was uh, when I was in Ballarat one year and I was going to acting school and, uh, you know, I liked to, I always like to express myself through various ways, like, um, like the way I dress, for example, is one way that I like to express myself. And at the time in my early twenties, I was going to acting school. I like to wear like big billowy, colorful jumpers and like tight leggings and like little dress shoes and stuff, you know, I thought I was quite fashionable and, um, uh, Ballarat is is not the place for that. <laughs> not that it's not that it's not the place for that, but it uh, it paints a little bit of a target on your back. And one day it was broad daylight. It was like, you know, six. I'd finished school and I was waiting for a friend at the train station, and a dude just out of nowhere just came up to me, started like screamed like homophobic stuff in my face, and then just hit me as hard as he could just out of nowhere in, in the face. And, uh, and he was very big. He was a very big man, clearly, um, not in his right mind, probably on, on, on something, probably high on something other than life. Um, and, uh, so I just like stood there. I didn't know what to do. I was with two other friends. I just stood there. I waited for him to like get bored and leave. And he did. Thankfully it didn't escalate, but, um, that really changed me, that one. I, and I didn't realize until like maybe five years later that like after that, I started like dressing a little more conservatively. And like I got to a point, I remember I was on tour with Donna at one point and I was like, I hate the way I dress and I hate my clothes and I hate the way I look and I've hated it for a long time. And I don't know why, I don't know why that's happened. And then I started thinking, I was like, and I traced it all back to that moment. And I was like, oh man, that punch echoed, echoed through the next like 10 years of my life. You know, um, it was quite, it was, it was, it was, it was very full on, very upsetting and really shook me to my core. 
I think. Yeah, thanks thanks for sharing that because I think that what you've stumbled onto there is something that is so the experience of disenfranchised people ordinarily, mm. right? Like, yeah. you know, the idea that women have had, had to do this, you know, for so long to feel safe, you know, moderate the way that they dress. Um, you know, homophobia didn't just affect gay people. Like, mm. you know, you know that, that homophobic slurs were always, you know, you know, associated with violence against different people. And so you'd hope that as we evolve and we get better at these things, that it's not just for the disenfranchised groups even. There's going to be a benefit you know, to just people who are a little bit different who want to express themselves and be themselves. That's a, it's a big deal, man. Thank you for telling us about that. That was, oh, you're I, I, I resonated with that story a lot and I <laughs> com- completely understand a lot of that. Uh, anyway, so uh, pacifism is an interesting thing because you said that it was more than just that you don't like to get into fights. You really felt like it was, you know, when you said it, it's, it felt like it's a bit more of a core identity. You really don't like violence mm. at all. You're not sitting around with a bunch of comedians on a Sunday watching the UFC. No, definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> not, not my speed. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll play a nice little computer game. Thank you very much. Uh, Saturday night. <laughs> what about violence in computer games? Do you like violent computer games? Does it come? Oh yeah, that's different. Then? That's yeah. fun. That's- <laughs> <laughs> the old Mr. Hypocrite over here. Because um, violence in movies and violence, it, when like, it's like that thing, right? Where like, there is nothing more like, like nothing that gets me more excited than a toy gun, right? Like I love toy guns. I've always loved toy guns. From when I was like a little kid, I always remember just holding a toy gun was like the coolest thing. And even now as an adult, like I've got some friends that have like gel shooting guns, right? And they and they just as I like, oh if I ever held a real gun I would immediately shit my pants I would I never want to I never want to see one I never want to when I see cops I can't stop looking at their real guns uh, like I'm just sitting there fixated by them and just like that is the scariest fucking thing I find them terrifying but pretend. Pretend guns. Oh, give them, give them to me. Give me. I'll load up my whole house with them. <laughs> pew pew. Like I love that shit. And I don't know why. I guess that's a weird thing. I've never thought about that. But pretend violence and pretend guns. Like when I know that it's that it's fake and it's there for entertainment. That's something that like I don't mind at all. I do not mind at all. Uh, speaking of entertainment, you know, obviously one of the big breakout. Auntie Donna moments is you know uh-huh. everything's a drum, but I notice in the corner of the room that you're speaking to me today, yeah. there is actually drums. Oh, there's a drum. There is literal drums, like yeah. in the back. Now, is this just some subliminal thing in the background, you know, to <laughs> make, make me think more about Auntie Donna? You're like everything is a fucking drum. Look at that. It's probably like a plant in the back, but I'm seeing a drum. <laughs> like, like, or or are you are you playing the drums? What is going on? I I in um my desperation when isolation started uh in like March. 2020, whenever it was, I found that I, uh, my body was so needed. It needed something to do and exercise. I reject as a whole. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, I force myself to do it sometimes, but as a, as a concept, I reject. I'm like, it's not, I hate it. It's not for me. Right. Um, uh, although I do try to get to the gym as often as possible <laughs> for health reasons. Right. Uh, and so I would find like, in ISO, I'm like, 
you know, I'm a very anxious person. Um, um, my brain is always going a hundred miles a minute. I find it very, very difficult to relax, like sitting down and doing nothing or doing nothing, you know, just watching TV. I can't, it's very, very difficult for me. I had to teach myself to, to relax at one point in my like late twenties because I was, I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to not work basically. Cause I love to work. I just love to work so much. Right. And when I'm not working, I feel like I'm wasting time. Um, and so I would like in when ISO first hit, I would like clean my whole house because I was like, I can't get anything done until my house is clean and then I'll do stuff. I'll work. And then I cleaned my whole house and I'd be like, I don't want to work. <laughs> and I just sit there and I'm like, I don't know what to do with my body. My body was just filled with like a need to do something, to move. And I couldn't really go out and move that much. So I bought a drum kit and I've never played the drums before. I love music. Music is like the number one thing outside of comedy that I'm, well, I don't even know if I'm that obsessed with comedy. I do comedy for a living and I love the form and the, and the, and the art of it. But music is like the thing that gets me up in the morning a lot of the times. Right. Um, I have to listen to music every single day and it affects my mental health if I don't. Right. I just, I'm sadder when I'm not around music and, uh, and so I've always loved it. I've always had a need for, it. I was in bands growing up, but I was a, vocalist and so i'm gonna teach myself the drums i was just like fuck it i'm gonna spend some money and i'm gonna teach myself the drums so i bought a drum kit and now i play the drums every day i've never had a lesson so i don't really know if i'm any good but i love the drums (laughs) (laughs) i love playing the drums man Okay, so there's so much I want to unpack in that, which is... Yeah, sorry, okay. I went real. I no, went real out. <laughs> mate, it's a long podcast for a reason, and it's great. <laughs> and also, some of it was really close to home, including the fact that today I've got a bunch of uh, podcasts to record, interviews to do, and yeah. uh, I know that on a day when I'm doing a lot of those, that I can't be in between working on the other project that I'm working on at the moment because it's at my computer screen it takes a lot of my energy I'm really tired after like working on the thing that I'm working on like it's not a good energy to go into like an interview or a podcast but the podcasts don't take up all my day so literally this morning I was like you know what I'm going to do today I'm going to clean the house I can't do any quality work (laughs) before I clean the house so that was very true to home and then the other thing was this desire to work all the time. I mean, you're Mm. talking to a guy who has four separate podcasts. So, Mm. you know, like I have an entire imaginary radio station. I'm doing something (laughs) that nobody is really asking me to do. People are barely paying me to do. And yet I can feel feel compelled to do it all the time. And I'm 47 years old now. So I've done a comedy festival show every year for the last 25 years. I like to work too. I find mm. work really fulfilling and really exciting. Yeah. Um, how do you not let it be everything in your entire life, though? How do you make sure mm. that, you know, like, because obviously the amount of work you're putting in also is being rewarded at the moment. Part of the reason that Auntie Donna is, you know, becoming so successful is that you guys put in so many years of being prolific and coming up with new material and treating it like it was a full time job even before it was a full-time job. And in the yeah. middle of this, you're writing this other show, you're doing this other show, you, you're thinking about the other things that you want to do work-wise. How do you make sure 
that there is a life when you decide that you don't want to work all the time that there is still a life left around it and things that you can do yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a it's a hard one it's like i mean it's all about balance but sometimes like man like because because why you like this and and big old house of fun was sort of made at the same time so i i remember like at one point i had uh, a 21 day streak of writing and creating every day without a break without like one day off so it would be like and there'd be weeknights in that as well. So it would be Monday to Friday with Auntie Donna and then maybe a weeknight with Why You Like This and then the weekend as well on Why You Like This. And that was even while we were in LA shooting the show and making the show. It was just a constant, constant thing. Um, and the best thing for me is a little bit of a cop-out, but the best thing for me that's kept it in balance is the fact that my partner Naomi is a very social person. She loves being social. <laughs> she like, like going out and talking to people. That's her music, right? That's the, you know what I mean? For, as it is for me. And, and she, a lot of the times against my will has like, you have to go out. You have to see people. It's really important. And it didn't hit me until last year, how important that was. I, would often just be working so much and not seeing people and being like, I don't have the time to see people. Like if I've worked, you know, 10 to five, a whole day writing, creating, and I get home, I just want to zone out. Like I just want to play computer games. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to do anything. And when we were doing that in LA, we had a lot of people when we're making big old house of fun, we had a lot of Aussies coming in and out of, of LA and uh, Naomi was with me and she was going out like most nights to hang out with people. And I was like, all right, well, I'll go too because there's nothing else to do. I don't have my little creature comforts here in LA. And I realized, one, it's possible. Like, I'm just like, I might feel a little tired, but that doesn't mean I can't work a whole day and then go and see someone and be sociable and have a conversation that's fucking not about work. Um uh, I can do that on a weeknight, right? And that was huge for me because I was like, this is making me feel good. <laughs> like, I like seeing people and being around people. And so, I've, what I've realized is the way that I find the balance is I force it. I have to force the balance. I have to not allow myself to go... I'm tired, so throw in the towel and do nothing and see no one because it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to do that night after night and then it turns into a week and then it turns into a month and you haven't seen or talked to any of your friends or your family, you know. I force myself. That's that's how I do it, <laughs> long story short. I want to talk about music because I love talking yeah. about music on this podcast, but let's talk about your personal journey with music, being in the bands. Oh. First, oh yeah, and then we'll get to music in general. Now I'm excited. Um, this, this this gets me giddy. Um, uh, so like the band thing for me was just purely. Again, I had no musical talent. I would say I still don't have a lot of discernible musical talent. Maybe I have a little bit of rhythm in me, um, but I just loved. Like I grew up at a time where I got to witness the rise and fall of new metal. Right. Like I was right there when it hit big, when like rock sort of was dying and then new metal came in and that took over. 
And then I got to see it crash and burn and die a horrible, horrible death as well, right? And I was there for all of it, right? <laughs> New metal is not a dirty word in my opinion, right? Um, and and uh, I was so obsessed with Slipknot, their first record, the first Slipknot record, just enamored by it. Like I'd never liked anything as much as I'd liked that before in my entire life. Like music was there. I grew up with the Beatles, you know, like a lot of best ofs and stuff that my parents introduced me to. So I loved like the sixties and the seventies and a little bit of the eighties. Like that was all stuff that was in me, but I'd never loved anything until that first Slipknot record. And I, and I'm not lying when I tell you it's all I listened to for 12 months of my 12 year old life. It is the <laughs> only thing I listened to. Right. I burnt that CD out. Like you would not believe. And so being in a band was just I didn't know what to do with the passion. I didn't know what to do with how much I loved it. And so I just, I was like, I, I, there were a couple of other guys. There was a free dress day at school one day and a couple of other guys turned up and they were wearing like coal chamber and like slipknot and corn t-shirts. And I was like, Oh shit. I didn't know these guys were in the middle. So I started talking to them and they were like, we're in a band and our singer sucks. And I was like, Oh, I'll do, I'll sing. Never sung before in my life. Never done anything before in my life. I just wanted to be a part of it. Right. So they're like, all right, come down. So I went down and then I started screaming for the first time. And I didn't know what I was doing, but because I wanted to do it so bad, I could do it. And I could scream really well. Like there was a period in my life where I just had the most incredible like metal, like high pitched scream. Right. And because I was doing it wrong after about four years of doing it, I just like destroyed my voice. Unfortunately, I wish I'd learned how to do it better, but purely out of a will of wanting to of pure want I did this thing. I was like able to like manipulate my voice and use it in a way because because I wanted to and for no other reason because I just didn't know what else to do with all this energy I had inside me, you know? I mean that's cool in itself. I think that <laughs> you know what what we are capable of just to overcome, you know, what our physical or, you know, like yeah. what our limitations we, yeah, we have placed on ourselves just because you desire it so much is totally, you know, there is, I mean, obviously the human body and the human brain, uh, you know, are capable of things beyond what we're using them for at the moment, but it's little moments like that, that actually give you a practical insight into that. So, yeah. Okay. So tell us about those bands. What was it that you responded to? in particular about that style of music was it the yeah the aggression of it was it the sound mm. of it was it the lyrical content what was it that just made you love it it's it's it was i guess it was it's 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 that pure energy that first song that i still remember it so clearly the first the opening track right it starts with like a little dj thing but the first like piece of music on that first slipknot record called sick it has it just feels like they're tearing the room that they're recording it in a part like they like it's it's just a smashing it just hits you and it hits you in your gut like and it makes my eyes want to pop out of my fucking head man like it's uh, it shakes me still to this day it shakes me when i hear it right it's the rhythms you know like it's it's so fast i'd never heard anything that fast before where it was just like like there's just something about that 
it just punches you in the fucking face. And I'm a pacifist, but I liked that. <laughs> that, was, that was, I like to get hit with that. And, and I guess when I was just like, you know, I'm 12 years old and I'd never connected with anything before. And I don't know why, but it just wrapped me up. It, it kind of feels like a hug. In a lot of ways, it feels like a big metal, metal to me. There's a lot of beauty in metal. There's a lot of aggression and there's a lot of screaming, but there's also a lot of like incredible melody in, in music. And one of my favorite genres of metal is melodic death metal, where they take like, you know, very heavy, very fast kind of um, distorted sounds and mix it with like beautiful melody and clean vocals. Soil work is one of my favorite examples of a band like that. Right. Um, and, and, and I love that because it, it feels like two different types of hugs. It feels like you're getting like crushed and squeezed like really hard, but then something quite gentle and nice and comforting, you know, and uplifting. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it feels like mum and dad are finally hugging me at once. The one thing that I've wanted. <laughs> It's true. I also grew up in a house with people screaming at each other constantly, so that, that eased me into metal a little bit, I think. I mean, what was 12-year-old Mark like? Tell me a little bit about that story. Where were you? Like, where were you living? What was your family situation? Where were you going to school? Like, give me a sense of what that kid was like when he discovered Slipknot. Yeah, uh, he was... Uh, so, 12-year-old uh, Mark was just getting out of primary school and was so happy for it because I hated primary school. I was bullied a lot. My mum was a teacher at the school that I went to. So I was bullied a lot. I was very sensitive um, and uh, and I cried a lot. Uh, and so kids would pick on me uh, for that. Always got called a sook. And it's like, you were being mean to me and now I'm crying and now I'm a sook. All right. I guess, all right. <laughs> I guess I'm a sook. Um, it stayed with me for a long time. Um, but like, I was, a, I was very sad, very sad in primary school. Um, and uh, like very early, uh, this, uh, this is a bit dark and I apologize, but like, we like to, like, like I remember having suicidal thoughts as early as like 10, mm. right? Um, just because I, I just hated school. I hated primary school so much. Like I had a few friends, but mostly socially, I didn't quite fit in. It just, it just didn't work for me. Right. Um, and so stepping into high school was a real, like, I was so just looking forward to the reset. You know, I was living in Werribee. Um, Western suburbs, Melbourne, uh, and uh, my my parents were together, but shouldn't have been. And uh, it took them far too long to finally uh, divorce. But like, grew up in a house, like I said before, jokingly, but very, but very honestly, um, uh, where the only way to deal with any sort of issue or emotion was to scream at the other person. So like, constant fighting, constant just home life wasn't. Uh, Home life was nice and like my parents were very nice to my brother and I and very supportive and we weren't, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but my parents were good with their money. So, so there was always sort of money there. So we had everything we needed, um, but we're just being raised by two people who just absolutely should not have been together, got together for the wrong reasons and stayed together for even worse reasons for far too long. Um, and I, I wasn't aware of that at the time. Uh, so, but, but there was just like, I knew like home life was, 
I guess I didn't know what other people's home lives were, you know, like as well. But it was it was stressful. It was a stressful place to be a lot of the times. Um, so when I found this music that was just unlike anything I heard before, my cousin introduced me to it. Uh, and my cousin, my brother's four and a half years older than me and my cousin's about four years older than me. But my cousin, who was in bands with me growing up, always was a bit more like a brother and my brother was always a bit more like a stepdad or like treated me like a stepdad. That's changed in the, in the years to come. We've, as we've gotten older, my brother and I have gotten much, much closer. But my cousin was always like the one who would like share stuff with me and, and you know, and we connected on, on like movies and music and that, and that kind of thing, as I did with my brother, but to a lesser degree because my brother's the one who introduced me to Radiohead and I am a Radiohead fucking tragic, right? Um, but we can get into that later. <laughs> but uh, but Slipknot was just that. It was a whole package, man. It had everything, right? It had a way to a way to look, a way to um, dress. Oh, sorry, did I turn my video off? I did. Okay. It had a, yeah, it had like a way to look, a way to dress. It, it had it had an aesthetic. It had an attitude, and it was like everything I was missing as like a developing kid, you know, I was like, I didn't know how I felt about the world world. And then I heard this and I was like, Oh, I feel angry. <laughs> like, you know, not really. I don't know. The aggression thing is a thing that I've never like, um, uh, connected to in that way. Like I was never like pissed off and mad at the world and then heard this music and was like, yeah, that's how I feel. I just, it was more just about the, the, the the sound and the production and the and how literally heavy it feels and how distorted it was there was something about the distortion that was like it's so unclean and it's so dirty and murky and it's just other it's other and 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 that's what i've come to very much in my life later on is i just love subversiveness and i love things that are different i'm like give me something i've never heard before show me something i've never seen before and i'll probably love it maybe just because of that fact you know and i learned that from that first slipknot album at a very young age it's a very interesting story i like so much of it (laughs) i I, there's i i look you brought up radiohead and you know people who listen to the podcast regularly or just you know sighed deeply knowing that that just added an extra 20 minutes to the conversation We'll get back to Radiohead, but I okay. want to. Uh, I want to know: Did you see Slipknot, or did you see any of these bands? Did you go out and go to a concert? I went to the first concert I ever went to. My dad took me to Lincoln Park at Festival mm. Hall, right, for their first album, Hybrid Theory, which I still obsessed with. Um, I love that record, and that was in, that was incredible to see. But the one of the biggest like things that kills me man still i was just talking to someone about this yesterday about how devastated i am that i missed the in 2000 slipknot came to australia when only their first record had been out and they played at festival hall and i was just too young to go and if i went into that pit i would have died and because i was just a tiny tiny little italian boy um and it was still like i i don't want to see them live ever because I missed I, I, I missed it 
I missed that time when it would have meant the most to me, when I think that they were sort of like at their best and their hungriest, you know, when they like really had something to prove. Like that's when you want to see a band, man. When, yeah, like it's great to see them in their twilight years as well, but it's always so interesting to see a band when they're like, we have to prove to this crowd that we're fucking fantastic you know like we've got to we've got to lay the foundation for the rest of us if we want this to be our careers we've got to lay that foundation now and that was that show that would have been that show my cousin went to that show and it's just it's killed me ever since that i that i didn't get to go and i just can't bring myself to ever see them live because it'll never be that it'll never be that it's it's a bit upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> we always try to get to a moment of trauma for somebody here. Look, yeah, bullying didn't break you, but we we almost got there. But it we almost got out, there. Missing this Slipknot gig at Festival Hall is the one. That's what that's what broke me, man. That's what broke me. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Radiohead, and uh, yeah. Regular listeners to this show will know that I am also obsessed with Radiohead. In fact, right? Yeah, you know, the last time, maybe even the last time, it can't be the last time I went to a concert. It isn't, but uh, <laughs> one of the last memorable times, certainly mm. the last time I went overseas, was to see. I went to see two two and a half years ago now at Madison Square Gardens. Uh, Radiohead Ooh. did four nights at Madison Square Gardens in New York, and, oh, wow. and we flew over and we went to all four nights of their for Moonshape Pool. Well, it was just it was literally. Well, I guess it kind of was, but it was yeah. just it, literally it was a different show every night. So oh, you man. went and saw four shows and you saw probably like, you know, I don't know, like I don't know how many songs they play, but yeah. like a huge amount of different songs and in different orders and in different ways. It was yeah. absolutely spectacular. What brought you to Radiohead and tell me what you like about Radiohead? Radiohead were the first band that I listened to. I think it was like I didn't get into them until Health of the Thief came out and it was the first time I'd listened to something that wasn't metal that I was equally as obsessed with or became obsessed with. And it was quite confronting because I was like metal die for like several years. And then I heard this and I was like, Oh no, this is just incredible. And so at the point when I came into them, you know, they'd already gone through their big musical change with, you know, when kid a and and amnesiac came out and stuff. So, uh, so I went back to the start and sort of listened through. And the thing that I love about Radiohead the most is that switch is that, is that they were like, they're a guitar rock band. They've just released their third album. It's like the biggest alt Brit pop rock album of all time. And then, the singer has a mental breakdown and doesn't want to be a rock star. And then they just reset and they do something so different, but still at its core, completely and utterly Radiohead. And so their sound and such an evolution of their sound, you know, not just like they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater type thing. It's still so there, but just approach it from a completely different angle and then continued to do that. That's what's incredible is that they didn't just do it once. You know, they then continued to do that with like, uh, you know, Hell of the Thief and in Rainbow's King of Limbs, which I love and is, I think, their most underrated album. And I get so mad when people put it on the bottom of the best Radiohead album lists. I can't even explain how, no, I agree. how much. Great that, album. Oh, oh, God, it's so good. Right. And it's even better live. But the recording is fucking fantastic. And I can 
don't get me started, right? <laughs> but they've continued to do that. And as artists, I think that's, you know, and as someone who wants to be an artist, albeit a very different type of artist, the, the thing that I've, that's resonated with me the most about Radiohead, you know, be, beyond their music, is that willingness to just go, to just walk into a, to, to a space and go, we don't know what we're doing, or we, let's, let's start, let's experiment and see where it goes, rather than go, well, that's proven success, so let's make that again, you know, that's, that's true artistry to me. That's when, that, that's when you change from like being a commercial artist to being someone who actually gives a fuck about w- wanting to make something that's like, they're doing it for themselves, you know, like they're not really doing it for anyone else. They're doing it because that's what interests them. And that's, what's exciting to them. And I think that translates and that resonates. And when you're not like that, when you're a band, that's not like that. It's very clear. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of bands who like like Slipknot, for example, who I love their first record. I don't mind their second record. And then it's like, yeah, you're just kind of, you know, maybe it's a little bit different, but you're, you're kind of treading the same water, I would say. Radiohead don't do that, man. They really don't. I will add, I agree with every single thing that you've said. And then I'm just going to add an extra thing. Because I Please. think there is something external to their music that is very inspiring creatively if you're a creative artist and it is exactly what you've just talked about because so often you know the way that success is described to us is that it is ever increasing popularity and you know and some of that is you know that people don't want to see new things they don't want Mm. to see you do something different and Mm. i think what radiohead did was they not just walked away from they could have been you two at that point they could have been you know, what Coldplay are now you know Coldplay yeah. just went well Radiohead if you if you guys don't want this opportunity <laughs> we're happy to step in we'll and take it you, the stadiums are already booked guys we are very happy <laughs> we'll have lovely lives we're all living very big mansions Chris is already happy out the back it. making some wristbands we're going to wear matching <laughs> costumes it's going to be brilliant and people are going to love it that's not disrespectful Respect to Coldplay. What Coldplay do, no. I think, and I went and saw you too, you know, quite recently, you know, a couple of years yeah. ago when they came to Australia. And, I, you know, the thing that I'm always struck by with those sort of bands is they're a very good starting place for people who want to get interested in, like, because they're good musicians mm. and they're writing good music. They've just at some stage decided... Yeah, you know, the popularity is more important, you know, than evolution. And you can argue with you too. They had a few cracks at you know, evolving as a band, but no one has pulled it off as successfully as Radiohead because not only did they say, we're going to just now do exactly what we want to do, but they've remained super successful. Like there's no reason to be any more successful than Radiohead. (laughs) Like (laughs) Tom York isn't Kanye West, but I bet Tom York has no desire to be Kanye West. Absolutely not. Like you don't need to be bigger than Radiohead. You know, no, you don't no. need to do more than four nights in a row at Madison Square Garden and sold out. That's a good little <laughs> run. You know what I mean? You don't need to be Billy Joel. You don't need to be there for 30 nights in a row. Yeah, it's enough. They've got it's enough. enough, you mate. know. <laughs> yeah, totally. God, that would have been that would have been amazing. I saw them. I, I, last time they came to Australia, I went to Sydney to see them and then saw them in Melbourne as well. Because, you know, I know how much they, they mix up their um uh, their live sets. And it was uh, that was for the King of Limbs tour. And oh man, just the best band to see live. So, like the way that they translate their stuff to live is unlike any other band. And the way they mix it up, like 
the way that like Mixomatosis has become like like a rock anthem, like mm-hmm. they've sped it up, and like I love the way they just like fuck with their stuff, like the synth in um, Lotus Flower, how like deeper that is live, and how much it just like rattles your bones, and it's not quite like that on the record, but they for live they've like adapted it a little bit. Oh man, what am I, I, I could go on. Favorite things <laughs> is that. You, we talk about this idea of evolution in style and yet you yeah. can see them play a set. Um, so we saw those four Madison Square Garden shows. Now, th- every yeah. night, you know, completely different vibe even. You know, yeah. arrange, by arranging a certain you know, group of songs in a certain way, it creates a completely different mood at the start of the show and then you yeah. can change moods. They know which songs sort of have which, you know, connection with an audience and you can really – to me, it's like – and this is what I love about comedy when it's working at its best is when mm. people aren't thinking about it. It's a bit like driving in that you've gone past the point where you've learnt to drive and you have to go, <laughs> I have to check my mirror. I have to, you know, put this in the yeah. third. You're not thinking about that anymore. You just know how to drive. And so if a road's blocked off and, or if you just feel like, you know, going the more scenic route home, you can just go, we know how to rearrange this so that it'll yeah. feel like we're taking the more scenic route home. And yet, it all works together still. Like there's no moment in that show that feels Mm. like, and that's the most amazing thing to me because if you listen to the albums individually, you go, well, this is very different to, like you said, you know, like, you know, Kid A is very different to, you know, the Benz or whatever. But when you see songs from those shows put together in a show, you go, oh no, this is all the same, the same people making the same music, which is like there is this general cohesive whole. Yeah, 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 very much so. Oh, they're the best. Oh, they're the best, man. <laughs> I mean, I saw them uh, at uh, in Spain at a festival in uh, Barcelona. And wow. um, I remember that the new album had just come out. So this was like three years ago, whatever. Yeah. Three years ago, four years ago. And the new album literally had just come out. I don't think it was even time for you know, the idea that there was like, you know, a bunch of songs in the zeitgeist. It was really probably like a month or two after the album would come out. And they just came out and at this festival, you know, where people would be tempted to... I just remember watching it going, you've got... If you wanted to just come out for 70 minutes or whatever you've got and play like, you know, 10 of the biggest songs that you've ever written in a row... yeah, yeah. you still wouldn't be able to choose which songs to play. And instead they played like the first five album album tracks in order, like in a oh. row to start their set. And it was so amazing because I was just right. like, this is just them going, no, 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 it's fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to play Karma Police at the end. It'll be fine. But... This is what we're doing right now. Yeah, when they started opening their sets, I saw them open a festival set. I was watching it on live stream. They opened it with Daydreaming, the mm. second track off. It was like a seven-minute right. soft piano. <laughs> I was like, fucking you bold motherfuckers. That is just like so ballsy to come out with a seven-minute. There's no chorus in that song. And you're opening a festival set with it. I love you. I love you, boys. I love you, little radio boys. You're my favourite. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite concert experience you've ever been to of any band? Of any band? Yep. The first time I saw Mike... Are you familiar with Mike Patton? Do you know Mike yeah, absolutely. Patton my Well, I'm a big uh, Mike Patton fan, but my my partner is like a huge Mike Patton oh, fan. Oh, really? Like, I mean, to, I, the, to the point where we have... Uh, like, my, basically my reason to get through the next year is we have Faith No More tickets that have been, you know, sitting around. I'm, I'm going to be there. <laughs> Me too, baby. <laughs> 
Um, I saw uh, I saw Mr. Bungle three times live uh, last year. I, I followed them around because uh, they, you know, hadn't released an album in twenty years. Um, and this is, but these are my most recent memorable musical experience. Uh, but I'll, I'll get to the most important one because these are Mike Patton one. But yeah, Mr. Bungle. We're like, hey, we're doing shows again and we haven't done anything for 20 years and we're just going to play our first demo tape that's just thrash metal and nothing like... Like, we wrote it when we were 16 and shit and my cousin and I somehow managed to get tickets to shows in LA, San Fran and New York and we followed them around for a week and just watched them play shows and it was just... It was incredible. Um, but the first... One of the most memorable. Still- By the way, I watched that. They but they filmed that show. They, well, they filmed a yeah. version of that show, which I watched quite recently. It was quite amazing. Yeah. It's incredible, yeah. huh? It was, and it was also nuts because like no one knew the music, and like I, I I don't know if he said it in that show, but every time we saw it, Mike at some point would be like. I, I know no one knows these songs <laughs> and like, I don't know why these shows have sold out the way they've sold out, but thank you for being here. Like, cause they only announced three shows and they sold out in like under a second. And then they're like, they were confused. They like, they did a post on their Facebook. They're like, just so you know, we're not playing anything you're familiar with and everyone was like we just want to see you it's all good (laughs) (laughs) and so and like the pits were nuts and um but the first time i saw mike Patton live i saw him he he had a solo he did a pop project called Mm -hmm. peeping tom right Mm -hmm. and they played at the forum which is just one of the most gorgeous venues to see music at in melbourne because no matter where you are you can see the full stage and it's just it's just beautiful surrounding the acoustics are gorgeous and um and I saw him play there. And, and the reason why it's one of the most memorable um, was, you know, it was like first time seeing this guy who I'm obsessed with do his thing. And he was incredible at it. And the music was good. I, I don't think it's quite held up in, in recent years. But at the time, it was like, you know, I was very much into it. But at the end, for an encore there's this project that he did like years and years ago with another artist called Dan, the automator called Lovage um, or Lavage, or I don't know how people pronounce it. Right. And that's just this album that I've always loved, always been obsessed with and something that it's like, obviously I'll never get to see that live. That's just something that will never be reproduced live. And for an encore, he did a song off that record and my cousin, like, as soon as, like, the opening tones of it started, my cousin and I just looked at each other and we just, we couldn't fucking believe it. And it was just, it was just one of those moments where it was like, that was something I never, ever thought I was ever going to get to see. It was such an incredible surprise and it sounded amazing and it will always be in my head as, like, one of the most memorable things I've ever gotten to see uh, at a music concert. Yeah, amazing live performer, Mike Patton. I've been lucky enough to see him a bunch of times in a bunch of different guises. And as I said, I, I, I was a big Faith No More fan, but mm. I hadn't really got into any, any of the other stuff. And like, But Amy plays his stuff all the time. And so eventually yeah. I'd be walking through the house and I'd go, are you playing like Italian like pop songs or something <laughs> and like you know I mean? like I'd wander in going like what is this you go it's Mike Patton I'm like oh yeah okay of course it is it's Mike Patton PJ Harvey's another person I put into that category where I just I, I, what I love about them is like there'll be different mm. albums that I like more than different stuff that they do you know and it's the same with yeah. Mike Patton there'll be different projects that he works on that I really love and then there's some other projects that I'm like oh yeah well I love that he does that 
Yeah, you know, but, but it's, it's not for me. But this it's one. not really for me. And yeah. I often think about that, you know, when I'm talking about my podcast world, because at the start it pissed me off that there was more people who listened to this show than listened to, say, Tofop, our other show, or there was more people who yeah. listened to Tofop than listened to our footy show. And then you're just kind of like, it's fine. People don't need to love <laughs> everything you do equally. They yeah. can that like bits and pieces, as long as they don't stop you doing the things you want to do. But I do always – I have always admired those artists, I think, you know, as role models who – you know, think that evolution is part of the artistic process and it sounds like they're the sort of artists that you also find yourself attracted to. Yeah, yeah, the ones who just don't want to repeat themselves, you know? It's like I I, I, I hope to be that artist one day. I don't think I'm that artist yet, but I hope that one day I can prove myself to be that kind of artist, you know, because that's the kind of stuff that I love because I really am more of a writer. I, I would consider myself more of a writer than I am a performer and in my writing I want to... I want to be able to do that. You know, Auntie Donna's the thing that's very much like made it and, and, and resonated and will give me the platform to hopefully become that artist. Mm. But um, as much as I love Auntie Donna, I don't want to just be doing Auntie Donna the, for the rest of my life. Okay, so know. Mark's leaving Auntie Donna. Good headline from the podcast, <laughs> it's, guys. <laughs> it's a hot take. <laughs> it's a hot take. Get it out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have some standard questions I like to ask people on this show. Uh, the yeah. first one being this: What do you think happens when we die? Oh, I don't think much. I, 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 I. It's a strange thing. I haven't had a lot of experience with death. You haven't? Um, Did you say no? No, I haven't. Like you know, like my my nonnals, uh, my grandfathers have passed away. Um, uh, one of which we were all very happy to see go because he was a terrible person. Um, another one, not so much, quite, quite nice, flawed, but quite nice. Um, and that's about it. And I think my nonnas are, are sort of currently, are currently on their way. Uh, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's about what actually happens when you die. What, what I've sort of kind of come to is you want to do enough so that the people around you, like, think about you in the year because like you can you, you forget right and like one of my grand one of my nonnals i never think about i never have like a memory that comes up that i'm like oh but my other one every couple of years now i'll remember something or i'll dream about him you know like the like just the other week i had a dream about him where i saw him and i touched his face right and i woke up so warm and i was just like that was lovely and it's like, that's what should happen to us when we die. If we've done the right things and you leave that with other people, that's sort of, that's a really nice legacy. But in terms of what happens to me, I'm, I'm in, <laughs> the worms are eating me. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, is there a moment of your life you'd like a do-over of? Oh, no, God, no. No, I think about this, I think about this sometimes and I'm like, oh, man, I'd love to go back and, like, maybe a moment. Because I always go, oh, if I went back to do that moment, then I'd have to live through everything else, right, to get back to this point. And that sounds like a fucking nightmare. I've worked so hard to get to where I am. I don't want to go through any of that shit again, you know? Like, I've done it and it's in the past and it's time to move on. Like... The only thing is that, like, maybe I would have liked to have broken up with my ex-girlfriend a few years <laughs> earlier. 
because <laughs> I was I was trapped in this relationship and it was very toxic and I was like I wish I had the strength and and I, I was a little less naive to have done that but even then if I had done that then maybe I wouldn't have been in the place when I met Naomi who's someone you know like I'm very much want to be committed to for the rest of my life so I can't fully but God no no I don't I don't I I I, I always like to think about you know. I'm, I'm not that I'm happy with all my choices, but everything I've done has sort of almost like I've accidentally tumbled into things. Like I was, you know, like I didn't go to acting school to be an actor. I was there because I was doing a writing course and I wasn't enjoying it. So I was like, I'll be a teacher, but I'll be a drama teacher. So I'll do acting. And then I, so, and I had a friend who was doing it. So I fell into that. And then I was like, oh, I like this. So I'll be an actor. But then I met some other funny guys. So then I was like, and they're like, let's do comedy. And I was like, all right, let's do comedy. And then I fell into that. So if I'd gone back and redone anything, some of those tumblings might not have worked out that way. And that's like, my whole life has just been that. It's just been like this and then grabbing it and and running with it. And so... Yeah, sorry, long answer, but no. No, good answer. I like it. Uh, yeah. What would you like to be better at? Um, uh, um, uh, probably I'd like to know myself better because the better you know yourself, the, 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 the quicker you're able to like notice the things that you don't like and avoid them. Um, and there's uh, quite a lot unfortunately, that I don't like about myself. I'm working with my therapist through it, which, remember, I'm very good at. So, uh, but there's there's lots of things about myself that I've grown to, like, not like and, uh, uh, you know, traits that I'm not happy with. Um, and the more I'm getting to know myself and the better I'm getting to know myself, the more I'm able to navigate through those things and not allow them to affect my life in, in a negative way and generally be more a more content, happy birth, uh, happy person. So I'd love to get better at knowing myself. So one of these things and answer this, however you want to answer it. Like it, uh-huh. it's a question that tends to come here regardless, but it sort of came here as a result of your answer as well. So yeah. I just want to separate those two things, but uh, basically w- when are you at your worst? Oh, when I'm, when am I at my worst? <laughs> the part of me just goes, always. Uh, <laughs> but that's not necessarily Your therapist true. books a new holiday house. It's fine. I'll keep telling him he's good at this. He will keep coming back. <laughs> no, kids, you can go to a new school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I, think I'm, I think I'm probably at the worst when I'm, when I'm judging myself uh, because I, I tend to do that a lot and a lot of the times that gets in the way. And um, it gets in the way of me being able to work and be a good collaborator uh, because I'm, I, when I'm judging myself, I often think other people are judging me and then sometimes I assume the worst and then sometimes that goes down a whole, a whole, a whole spiral. But when I'm just – when I'm not and when I'm clear and when I'm just taking things as they are, um, that's probably when I'm at my best, you know? So – yeah, I, I, it's yeah, interesting probably. to me because we started this conversation with you saying that one of the things that was most important to you was, you know, kindness, empathy, yeah. empathy to others. And yet it feels like, you know, the stumbling point here is showing that same sort of kindness and empathy to yourself. And you have cracked the great 
Take that, <laughs> great therapist. Egg that is so what banana. I'm saying is, uh, you're really good at podcasting. <laughs> Come back again. No, but that's that is that's true. That is like my that is my thing, man. Is like is self kindness is very difficult. It's very difficult. You know, I attribute it to the house I grew up in and the kind of people my parents were and the, and just the negative traits that I learnt. You know, not that they're bad people, but the some of the stuff that they passed on and some of the stuff that I learnt was it was like there wasn't a lot of self-love, you know? If you fucking if you dr- if you drop an egg, right? Or you drop a plate of fucking pasta, the response that I grew up with is to call yourself a fucking idiot, right? That's the response. Is it's like it's not just Ah, well, it doesn't matter, which is the appropriate response for such an action. I grew up with and now have become the person that does something like that and then goes, well, you're a moron. Well, you have fucked up. You are nothing and you are pathetic. And then spiral, spiral, spiral. Um, and that that is a habit that I am trying so hard to break, you know, and it constantly leads to me being at my worst. Constantly. What's the best bit of advice that you ever got from somebody? It can be regard to anything. Oh, the best bit of advice. Um, I feel like there's not like... I haven't given myself a lot of advice over the years. There's, there's, There hasn't been a lot of like... I haven't had a lot of that mentorship, I guess. Like... Like... Because there's advice I'd really wish I'd gotten... A lot of the times, like there's times in my life where I was like, oh man, I feel like this person had the the capability of telling me this and they didn't. Like, I just wish someone in high school had said to me, hey, it doesn't matter if you're bad at this because that doesn't mean you're going to be bad at everything, you know, because at high school I wasn't very academic and like no one ever told me that that was okay. I was only ever like kind of looked at as like, well, that's bad. That's if you can't do this. That's bad. Um, so I don't know. That's a shitty answer, man. But like, I can't, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of those. I don't have a lot of those moments where people have been like, Hey, you should do this. And it's, and it's worked out. Well, Maybe I, I don't think it's a shitty answer for a start. It speaks to a lot of what we've already <laughs> spoken about. But secondly, I yeah. think that that what you've got to in answering it about the piece of advice that you wish you'd been given is an incredible yeah. like kindness and empathy that you show to yourself as a kid because mm. like, I think that that is a message we could get a lot to people. It's my great frustration with ed- with education and as someone who wanted to be a teacher or at least considered being a teacher, I don't know what your opinions around education are, but I think that we do children such a disservice by just not getting them out of school with a love of wanting to learn new things, whatever those yeah. new things are. At some stage in your life, regardless of what you want to do, whether you want to be a mechanic or whether you want to be a teacher or whether you want to be like a comedian or whether you want to be, mm. it doesn't really matter. You're going to have to learn how to do something new. And if we yeah. could get you out of this experience with a love of and an understanding of how to learn how to do something new, then I think that's a great gift. And so often we actually almost beat that out of people. You know, we tell them these are the only things that you're allowed to be good at. And if you're not good at these things, that you're not a valued member of society, which the rest of society, the rest of adulthood proves to be completely untrue. 
How many yeah. more examples do we need of people who did not fit into those type parameters <laughs> who have gone on to have very do successful and rewarding lives for yeah. us to just go, we should stop telling kids this completely <laughs> demented story of what you need to know to be like a... It makes no sense. All evidence is to the contrary that this is a good approach to educating people. Yeah, 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 man. That's a very good point. Uh, is totally there um, one skill that you would love? We maybe have already touched on this, but if I could give you any skill, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours. You just immediately yeah. have this skill. What would it be? Uh, like, I, I, this might be too broad, but it, 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 it's instruments. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, not because I want to, like, write music. I just want to play the music that I love. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I love with, like, drums, right? Like, the amount of time, like, I know I can play Chop Suey, right, by System of a Down. I can play, like, Reptilia by The Strokes, right? Just songs that, and I'm, I'm trying to learn Party Hard by Andrew WK at the moment, right? <laughs> so, there's just, like, there's just, like, songs that, like, I really love that, again, I just want to be a part of. And if I could... Like I just like I don't think I could be happy. I think I would be at my absolute happiest if I was in a cover band and I could play whatever songs I wanted. And if there was an audience, fine. But really, like I just wanna. I'd love to be able to like jam and and and, and again, not write. I don't want to do anything original because I, there are enough people that I love that are doing that stuff and they're doing it so much better than I ever could. I just want to be able to replicate. That would be sick, man. Uh, that would fill me with such a a, a a joy and a deep happiness. I remember seeing Metallica play at the Sydney Big Day Out one year and uh, I had seen them a couple of times already on the tour. And I'm not like the hugest Metallica fan. I'm very interested. Yeah. They're obviously a very iconic band and like, you know, yeah. they do a pretty cool like, you know, live show and stuff. But it wasn't. It's not, you know, they're not in the kind of list of my favorite bands in the world. So by the yeah. time it was the second time seeing them, I was just sitting up in the stands, sort of, you know, not down in the crowd at all, just sort of watching it, having a drink, yeah. talking to some friends. And then I immediately became obsessed with these two guys. And there were these two sort of, I guess, early 20s guys. And they were air drumming in unison every single song in the entire Metallica set. And I ended up spending, like I would say, 75% of the time that Metallica yeah. were playing on stage just watching these two guys play every bit of the drums, like air drums, just in unison, the two of them together. And I don't believe that any two people have ever had more fun. Like, they, they were definitely <laughs> having more fun than Metallica were having. I've seen the Metallica documentary. There is absolutely no way yeah. that it's more fun to be <laughs> in Metallica than these two guys were having watching Metallica. <laughs> totally, man. It's just... It just it grabs you like it, it's the, like sometimes sometimes it's not about wanting to be an artist. Sometimes it's just wanting to be like as involved as you can in what someone else has created, you know, to capture that feeling. This has been fun, that. man. One more uh, question and then we're gone. But let's yeah. uh, plug both of the shows again. Um, uh, yeah. One more time. So Auntie Donna, people can find on Netflix, big old house of fun. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, the new show is on ABC iView, right? Is that where people find it on ABC iView? Why are you... Yeah, why you like this from Feb 16th, um, uh, which is already come and gone. Yes. It's on ABC iView and uh, it'll be on Netflix worldwide uh, with the uh, date uh, to be seen, which might be out by the time this comes out. But, oh, um, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, if you're overseas, uh, uh, check it out. Maybe just look it up on Netflix. If it's not there yet, it will be soon. But um, if you're in Australia, it's on iView. 
I have a time machine. I do not have a time machine for legal reasons, but for the purposes <laughs> yeah. of this question, I have a time machine. Yeah. I can yeah. take you back to uh, any point in history. I can take you back to any point in the future. You can visit yourself. You can yeah. whatever. Whatever you want to do with it, I am fine with that. But what would you like to do? I I want to see dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Cool. I want to see dinosaurs really bad mm. because- I feel like we, I, I grew up loving dinosaurs. I was obsessed with dinosaurs as a kid. But no one's actually, like, properly seen dinosaurs. Like, so much we know about them is just, like, assumed. And it freaks me out sometimes if I think about it too much. Just in general, like, sometimes I think about fruit and I freak out. Because, like, how did that... Like, what's going on with fruit, man? How is that a thing? Who... How did that grow? How did like just this thing grows out of nothing and then it's delicious and we can eat it and it's sweet and it's really good for us and it's beautiful. Like, and that, when I think about that and then it's, I start thinking about life and it like melts my brain a little bit. I know that's a really dumb example, but it's, it is a thing that freaks me out. And dinosaurs is another one of those things where it's like, there was just a whole, there was not us. And there was like a whole nother thing. And now we're finding their bones in the ground. And like, we don't really know what they looked like. We're just sort of assuming I'd love to be the only person who could come back and be like, Oh, you got that right, but that's way off. That's, I mean, that's not even that's close exactly to what, it's what like. it would be, though, because essentially <laughs> yeah. we've been, we think we all know what dinosaurs look like. Because yeah, yeah. There is a standard sort of definition now of what they've decided that exactly. particular creature would look like, and everybody goes yeah. off that template basically now. But yeah. as you said, it's like an identikit photo. The, you know, yeah. it's, it's like in those murder mysteries where you go, well, I guess that looks like the guy. He didn't actually have a mustache. I can see that. It was a shadow and you thought it was a mustache, but it wasn't really a mustache. It's and not it would actually. definitely be the same with dinosaurs. Oh, man, wouldn't that be sick to just yeah. come back and be the only one who knows? And maybe I'll keep it a secret. Maybe I'd just be like, I'd look at other people's work, experts in the field, and be like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Close. It's interesting that yeah. you think that. No, not, it's interesting that you think that. Not I'm not them. saying. I'm not going to tell you exactly. And they start <laughs> making the nose bigger, colder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'd be a real prick with that information. Get, take the kindness and empathy, throw that out the window, mate. Let's use this, you know, to really just fuck yeah, with me. Mark's really changed his attitude since he saw the dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs, man, that'd be sick. We're done, mate. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so much, Will. I had so much fun. That was awesome. Oh, 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 oh,